I don't know if you heard the story about this little boy. He was in an elevator with his dad in New York City, and they were going up the, to the Empire State Building. It's 102 floors up there. So you, when you start going up 10, 20, 30, it starts going pretty fast. And as it kept going up, it kept going um, up and up. The little boy got scared, and he reached up, and he grabbed his dad's, uh, dad's hand as the elevator's going up all the way to the top. And they looked at his dad, and he said this, Daddy, does God know that we're coming? Kid thought he was going to heaven, you know. Are we going to stop here, or are we just going to keep going up? Are you anticipate being in heaven? I mean, that song is just a, a great reminder. We can only imagine of what it's going to be like. You know, we have, we have nuggets of Scripture that point us to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We have nuggets of Scripture that kind of remind us of what it's going to be like. Uh, a, a guy by the name of Paul who went to the third heaven, right? He, he was up there in the third heaven. He saw things that he wasn't... Uh, 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 able to express to us or write down or express to us. And, and this is what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He said this, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus has gone before us. Uh, John chapter 14 talks about Jesus is going before, and he's preparing what? He's preparing a place for He's preparing a place for If you are in Christ, if you're trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's going to prepare a place for us that we could be with him forever. And the Bible talks about the wonder and the beauty of heaven and what it's going to be like for all of us to be with him. One of my favorite verses, and you hear me quote this quite a bit, is from Psalm 1611. I quote it a lot, quote a lot at funerals, and this is what it says. Great verse to memorize. It says, for I've made known to you the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and eternal pleasures at your right hand. The path of life, the journey of life, the way of life, it's joy in your presence and eternal pleasures at your right. And in other words, we are to be linked to God in this relationship with him so that we can have this wonderful presence of the Lord and, and feel and sense the comfort of who he is and what he would do for us and one day enjoy him forever and ever in heaven. Is there something in your heart that longs for that? I mean, as you sit down sometimes, you look at the world, you look at what's going on, you look at your life, you go, something's wrong. Something's amiss deep down inside my soul. I can feel it, I can experience it. I don't know what it is, but there's something wrong. C.S. Lewis called this an inconsolable longing. He says, deep down inside of it, there's this inconsolable longing. In other words, there's something inside of it that says, we're not going to find it in the here right now, but maybe it's something else. And this is what he says. He says, there have been times when I think we do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have ever desired anything else. It is the secret signature of each soul, the incommunicable and unappeasable want, the thing we desired before we met our wives or made our friends or chose our work, and which we still desire on our deathbed when the mind no longer knows wife, friend, or... In other words, there's something down inside that wants this inconsolable longing of being with Jesus because we cannot find it here and now. Book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon said this. Remember Solomon? Solomon had a lot of stuff, right? We look at Solomon, if we had half of it, we would think that we would find fulfillment. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 Verse 11 says this, He, God, has set eternity in your heart so that there would be this, this longing for something beyond this, that we wouldn't get stuck in this world, we wouldn't get stuck in the stuff and, and the things of this world too often. We are currently in a series called Contending for the Faith. 
And, and the reason I wanted to do this series is, is this. We see so many people walking away, so many young people walking away from, from the church, walking away from Christianity. It just bothered me when I read the, the statistics of people walking away. And the reason they're walking away, because they, they've kind of gotten rid of the authority of God's word. You know, they've taken God's word and they've, they've just removed it from the authority of their life. And then they looked at the person of Jesus. Well, you know, who's this Jesus guy? And why did he have to die on the cross for our sins? You know, there's something about him that we just, we don't really know and we don't really embrace. And what about some of these other things that are, that are going on in our lives? We don't like this subject of heaven or of hell. We don't like this, this theme of hell. Why, why would a good and loving God send, send someone to hell? And what we were doing, we were looking at all of these foundational issues. And what happens is as you begin to pull away from the authority of God's word, you begin to pull away from something, your, your foundation begins to shake and it begins to crack. And that's why people walk away from their faith. And, and so a couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at John 3.16 and the idea of, of what does it mean to perish? For, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believeth him will not, will not perish. In other words, you and I are in the danger of perishing if we're not careful. We need to reconcile our life with the holy God and we need to be mindful of what's going on. And we looked at what it meant to perish. It meant to live away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power forever and ever. And listen, I get it. That is not a friendly topic to talk about. I get it. We get it. Nobody wants to talk about that. Yet we must embrace the authority of God's word. And what ultimately God has done, what ultimately Jesus has done, is I provided a way for you to escape that kind of future so that you will not perish. And that's why John 3.16 says that we can have eternal life. You and I can know that we can have eternal life. Life forever in the presence of the Lord, the glory of his power with who he is. So what I want to do is this. I simply want to just go back to John 3, 16. Listen, if I'm going to talk about perish and the ugliness of heaven or of hell, I sure want to come back and talk about the wonder, the beauty of where we're going to spend eternity in heaven. And that's what I want to do. I want to come back and I want to, I want to answer this question. What does it mean for you and I to possess eternal life? And that's, that's one of when we're looking at John chapter 3. And what's interesting is if you go back and look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have a lot of teaching about Jesus, a lot of stories about Jesus, a lot of teaching about Jesus, a lot of miracles. And, and they, the, the, the religious people and everyone looked at Jesus and they could recognize something different about him. He's doing all of these miracles. He's doing all of this teaching. He's doing all of these wonderful things. We know that there's something different about him. And a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus, he recognized that. He came up to him and said, listen, we know that you're a godly teacher. We know that you're a rabbi. You have all of these wonderful teachings. There's something unique about you. I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm, I'm Israel's teacher. I, I know a lot about the, the, the Old Testament. I know a lot about God's word, but there's something about you that's very, very different. And he came to Jesus in the context of John chapter 3. And, and in that context, we have John 3.16. Listen to it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So what I want to do this morning is this. In the context of John 3, 16, in the context of John chapter 3, I want to go back. I simply want to answer the question, what does it mean for you and I to possess eternal life? Three things I want to, three things I want to talk about. Number one is this. There's, there's no condemnation. We're going to find the text that we're not condemned because of our sin. That's what it means to have eternal life. Eternal life means, it, means, it means trusting in Jesus. It means believing in who he is and what he's done for us. And, and the last thing, eternal life means is it, it, the quality of, of our lives, not only on this word, but our quality of life in the future is going to be radically different. We shouldn't get so caught up in the things that are here. So let's just 
answer the question, what does it mean for you and I to possess eternal life? Number one, we're not under God's condemnation. Look at verses 16 to 18. Notice what is written here. Notice what John writes. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Why did God send Jesus? To save the world through Jesus. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So there's no doubt what Jesus is talking about here is just as the word perish should shock us, no doubt it probably shocked Nicodemus, the idea of condemned is important here. You know, what does it mean to be condemned? We look at a person who's been condemned or he's broken the law. A condemned person has broken the law. They've done something wrong. They've done something evil. So they are, they are condemned because of what they've done. They've done something bad. Well, for you and I, it means this. To be condemned means there's this thing called sin that lies deep inside of us. In other words, we, we've broken God's law. We've broken his command. We've walked away from him, and we simply want to do whatever we want we think is best for us. I know what's best for my life. I don't need to follow God. I don't need to follow Jesus. I know that I can do all of these things on my own. And Nicodemus, this religious leader, is standing there. He's got to hear these words perish. He's got to hear these words condemned. He's got to be thinking about himself. He's saying, listen, I'm rightly related to God. I follow the commandments. I do all of these things. I follow the sacrifice. I do all of these wonderful things. How in the world could a guy like me, a rabbi, a teacher, be condemned? I know that I'm looking forward to anticipating the future of being in the presence of the Lord. And and to be condemned in the context of John 3, 6 means means this, that we are condemned because of our sin. We are condemned because of our rebellion. We are condemned because we are guilty before a holy God. The standard for our lives is not me. It's not culture. The standard for our lives is ultimately who God is and the way that he's revealed himself to us. Am I following what God would have for my life or am I simply doing what I want to do, Romans chapter 1? Am I looking at the the, the nature and the character of the Word of God? Am I looking at the person of Jesus Christ? Am I looking at all that He has done for us, and am I embracing Him and moving in that direction? Or am I simply going to say, you know what, I'm going to go and do whatever I want, whenever I want. See, John 3.16 reminds us that God gave Jesus, He sent Jesus to this earth for a purpose, to redeem us, to buy us back from the death and destruction that awaits us for rejecting Him and His Son. And it means this, that we are not condemned by believing and trusting in Jesus. It means this, I'm not condemned for my sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. I'm not going to face condemnation for the things that I've done. I think one of the great examples of this is in Luke chapter 23. Jesus is on the cross, right? He's being crucified. He's in between these two thieves. And these two thieves are having a conversation with each other, and they're calling out to Jesus to save them. They're getting ready to die. Everyone is getting ready to die. And these two criminals, common criminals, are are actually mocking Jesus and mocking Jesus for being on the cross. Luke chapter 3. Notice the conversation and how it turns. Luke chapter 23, verse 39 says this. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since we are under the same sentence of death, we are punished justly, 
For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Here's this thief. They're, they're, these thieves, they're, they're right before death. They're getting ready to enter into eternity. And one finally repents. One finally changes his tune. And he says to the other thief, listen, we are getting what we justly deserve. What we have done wrong, we are being paid for. We're being placed on a cross. We, we are paying for our sin. We are paying for the criminal acts in which we've done. But notice what he does. He throws himself at Jesus' mercy. He throws himself and says, Jesus, will you give me mercy? Will you give me grace? You extend, I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to trust in you for who you are so that I would experience and not have this condemnation of sin. Listen, the Bible says this. There's not going to be any condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. All of our sin, all of it is going to be paid for. And I don't think that we fully understand that. I don't think that we fully get it. We don't fully understand how, how depraved we can be at times. We think that we can always constantly try and get our way out of the predicament. May of this year, Ringo Starr, uh, if you're not familiar with the being, Ringo Starr was on the Stephen Colbert show. And two things came up, uh, his favorite song in the afterlife. And so they're having this conversation, national-wide audience, uh, Stephen Colbert and Ringo Starr. And Stephen Colbert, Colbert asked Ringo Starr, he says, what happens when you die? Starr replied, I think we go to heaven. Colbert asked, what's heaven like? Starr said, heaven's great, but you don't stay there very long. You just got to get your stuff together again and come deal with all of that stuff you didn't deal with the last time you were here. So I think that's interesting. Here's this guy on national TV. We all know who he is. And he's saying, listen, we, we all go to heaven, but you've got to leave there and go back to earth, probably thinking of reincarnation. You've got to come back to earth, redo all of that stuff to get right all of the things that we didn't get right in the first place. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that I'm not going to be condemned because of my son, because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. That's the beauty of a relationship of trusting in Jesus. I'm not going to be condemned for my sin. You're not going to be condemned. All all of my sin, the judgment, all of that is placed on Jesus at the cross. And he becomes my my substitutionary atonement, if you remember. I'm not going to be condemned. Do you remember the final words that Jesus said to that man on the cross? Remember what he said? He said this, today you will be with me in paradise. He's not going to have to pay for all the things that he did. He's basically done nothing to deserve going to heaven. He's not done any good deeds. He's probably done a lot of evil in his life because he's condemned because of his sin, because of the evil things that he's done. And all of a sudden, he comes to Jesus, and he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you go into your heaven. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. That's what he says. A criminal, a thief on the cross, it's going to be with Jesus in paradise forever and ever and worship him forever and ever. So here's the relevance for you and I. I don't have to work to be accepted before God. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to come back and redo my life all again and try and keep going through this endless cycle of reincarnation to, go, to try and figure out life. I don't have to fear that, that that one thing, that secret sin, that nobody else in this congregation, nobody else in this century knows that that secret thing is deep down inside of me that we don't want to confess to anyone else. We don't have to fear that that one thing is going to keep us away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. We don't have to fear any of that because Jesus has gone to the cross, John 3, 16. He gave his one and only son so that you and I might experience the wonder and the beauty of the forgiveness of sin. 
We don't have to live with this idea that I'm going to be judged for my life. All the judgment, all the sin, all the muck, all of that ugliness has been placed upon Jesus at the cross. We call that substitutionary atonement. It's a big theological word for this. God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God placed my sin on Jesus at the cross so that I would have the wonder and the beauty of the forgiveness of sin. doesn't matter what you've done. You believe in Jesus, that's what it means to be and have and possess eternal life. Uh, are you familiar with the words from the hymn, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Remember what it says? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus shed blood on the cross, brings healing to you and I because of who he is and what he's done for us. So the first thing that we possess because of this idea that we have eternal life is I'm not going to be condemned for my sin. Why is it I'm not going to be condemned? Well, John goes on. Because we trust in Jesus. We trust in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Look at what he says in verse 15 and 16. He uses an illustration. John's going to use an illustration. He's going to pull something back from the past, something from the memory that they would be familiar with. Look at verse 15. It says this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Again, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There's no doubt what Jesus is doing with this conversation with Nicodemus, this religious leader in John chapter 3, is, is change his mindset, change his thinking. It's not about the law. It's not about the rules. It's not about the regulations. It's not about all the things that I do. It's ultimately about trusting and believing in Jesus. In other words, Nicodemus, will you make me, will you make Jesus the absolute object of your faith? Whoever believes in him is the one who's not going to perish. And what he does is he takes them back to a familiar, to a familiar story with Nicodemus. It's in Numbers chapter 21. You recall the story? Numbers chapter 21. The people are rebelling once again. The nation of Israel are rebelling against Moses, and ultimately they're, they're rebelling against God. There's this little story in there. And they're just mad. They don't like what's going on. So they begin to rebel, they begin to gripe, they begin to complain. So what does God do? He sends snakes among their midst. And they're walking around, and all of a sudden these snakes are in their midst, and their snakes begin to bite them. And whenever the snakes would bite them, they would die. They would pass away. And if you're familiar with the story, remember what God did? He didn't remove the snakes, did he? He said, Moses, what I want you to do, I want you to take a bronze snake, and I want you to put it on a pole. And that person's going to walk around with that pole, and when a person uh, is bitten by a snake, what do they need to do? They need to, they need to look at that bronze snake on the pole. And when they do that, they will live. Notice the text, Numbers 21, verse 9. Notice what Moses did. So Moses made a bronze snake, and he put it on the pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and uh, looked at the bronze snake, notice what it says. He lived. It's so simple. Jesus is simply taking Nicodemus back to this illustration in the Old Testament about sin and rebellion, the people are sinning and rebelling against God, the snake's coming, and for order for them to find physical relief from this snake, what did they, they had to look up, they had to look up and look in, in this bronze snake, and it says they lived. 
So what, what Jesus is doing, he's saying, listen, it's, it's really, really simple, guys. Nicodemus, it's really, really simple. What I want you to do is this. I want you to know and understand that I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. And because of me going to the cross and being lifted up as a payment for sin, what's going to happen is if you will put your faith, if you will put your trust in me, I will become to you that source of eternal life. Just as that bronze snake became the the physical healing to the people in the wilderness, I will become the source, the object of eternal life, eternal salvation, if you will simply believe and trust in me. That's what Jesus is replying to Nicodemus. That's what he's trying to get him to do. The idea in the Gospel of John lifted up has this idea of Jesus going to the cross and being lifted up on the cross as a payment for our sin. And and Jesus is going to make this so much clearer at the end of John chapter 3. There's not going to be any question to Nicodemus, any question to the people about what Jesus wants to be as the object of their faith. John chapter 3, verse 36. No, notice how he kind of encapsulates this very succinctly. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. What Jesus is pointing out to Nicodemus John chapter 3, it's not about rules, it's not about regulations, it's not about all of this stuff that you would be entrapped by in the Old Testament. It's about having a personal relationship by putting your faith, your trust, and believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And by the way, if you want to know about that, there was a sign to you, there was a pointer to you in the Old Testament. That pointer to you was the snake. Just as that snake became a sign Jesus is a sign that when we look to him, we put our faith and trust in him, we will experience no condemnation. So let me just kind of have a little fun little illustration here um, with the idea of sign. In 2015, my brother and I, uh, we rode our motorcycles to Alaska. And we went there. We passed through the Yukon. Um, It's it's a a, a lot of miles. We passed through the Yukon. And in a city called Watson Lake, there's a signpost forest. And here's what it looks like. And has an interesting history. That's me, my motorcycle, and that's the signpost forest at the Yukon. It's Watson Lake. And the signpost forest actually started in 1942 with a soldier by the name of Carl Lindley. He was injured while working on the Alaska pipeline, and he was taken to an army base where he was to recover in Watson Lake. Well, in those days, um, a simple signpost was put out, and it would point to their hometown, and a lot of times, They would attach the miles to it. Well, one day, somehow the sign um, was damaged, and he was told, this guy, Carl, was told to go out and and repair the sign. That's what he did. But when he repaired it, he put up a sign pointing to his hometown of Illinois and the distance given, and that's what he did. Well, several other people began to do that, and as the idea caught on, more and more people began to come and put their little signs up there. So in, in 2021 there are approximately 80,000 signs that have been placed over these acres and acres. Now, if you look right in the middle, there's that little one. That's, that, that's, that's a sign. I, I'm famous for having a sign at Watson Lake. I put my sign there. And I know exactly where it's at. I can go back. And, and all of those people from all of those places placed all of those signs to, to show people, this is where I live. This is my home. This is what we would call home. What Jesus does in John chapter 3, he says, listen, as that snake, that bronze snake became a sign of me going to the cross and being lifted up, 
What I want you to do is I want you to believe and put your faith and trust in me. And what I will do, that sign will lead you back to your true home. That longing that's deep inside of your heart. That longing that's deep inside of your soul. Haven't we experienced that before? Haven't we experienced love that's radically different? The love of a spouse or love for your children? The love of community? Haven't we looked out? We see the sun, the moon, the stars. We see all of these wonderful, beautiful things. And we say, wow, where did that come from? I drove in uh, to, the, to the church this morning. I'm tra- traveling up Highway 70 East, and all of a sudden, this beautiful sunrise is peeking up through the clouds, and I'm just mesmerized at the wonder and the beauty of God's creation all around us. And we see love, and we see fellowship. We see all of these wonderful things, and we have this inkling of who God is deep down inside of us, but there's a longing for more. And just as that snake in the wilderness became a sign to Nicodemus, Jesus is the sign that he is the Savior of the world because he was simply lifted up and offered as a sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And as they look to the bronze snake to live, we look to Jesus as the source of our eternal salvation for who he is and what he would do for us. The Gospel of John is a wonderful, wonderful reminder from John about the nature of Jesus and what he's done for us. A little later in John chapter 14, we have specifically words to the disciples. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And the disciples, I'm sure they're a little bit discomforted, if you will. They're out of sorts. In John chapter 14, Jesus comes and says, listen, I want to tell you some things. In John chapter 14, it says this, verse 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is going, already there, and he's preparing a place for you? That's what the Bible says. Are you looking forward to anticipating a place? Sometimes it's hard for us because we get so wrapped up in our lives. Maybe we're newly married. Maybe we're this. Maybe we've got a new job. We get so focused on the here and now and all the things going wrong, we forget that we have a citizenship, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, a citizenship in heaven. And what Jesus is simply directing Nicodemus to is this. There is this idea, uh, the New Testament, what what Jesus is directing the people at that time to is that I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. Verse 3 says this, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Isn't that awesome? Jesus wants to spend eternity with you. Jesus wants to spend eternity with me. Jesus wants to spend eternity with all of us in a place called heaven. And he's already going before us to prepare a place for us. Do you believe that? Are we so wrapped up in the here and now and all of the stuff that's going on that we've forgotten that we're going to spend eternity in the presence of the Lord, the glory of his power. There's not going to be any condemnation. There's not going to be any judgment for my sin. That I'm going to look to and trust Jesus for who he is and what he's doing in my life, even when it's not good. When it's not good, are are you believing that and trusting in Jesus that he's transforming your life? He's changing you from the kind of person that maybe that you want to be to mold and form you into the kind of person that he wants you to be ultimately after the image of Jesus Christ. Are we getting so wrapped up in that that we forget that God is working in our midst? 
1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. One day we're going to be transformed, and I'm going to be like Jesus. And all the shortcomings that I have, and all the times that I get frustrated, and all the times that I get off track and do all of those things, all that's going to be changed. I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus. And all of that stuff is going to be taken care of. My sin is going to be placed on Jesus at the cross. Do you believe in that transformation in your life? Maybe you're going through a really hard time right now. Do you believe in that transformation of what God's doing? You know, Laura and I are having um, some work done in, in our, our basement. We're having the, the basement remodeled. So they came in and they, they literally removed all of the walls. Um, we're extending this um, ceiling drywall. I mean, it is going through a major transformation. And the reason that we're doing that is because we want that to be radically different so we can use it in a radically different way. It's going through a renovation process, and it's going to look awesome. That's what God is doing inside of us. As I look to, I put my faith and my trust and believe in Jesus. What he's doing is this. He's transforming my life on the inside. The good, the bad, and the ugly is all being transformed conforming us ultimately into the image of Jesus. I came across this verse this week, and I, I was like, oh, this is just awesome, and I'm going to share it with you. And, and I'm, I'm like, I, I want to teach on this verse. I want to come back sometime. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice what Paul writes. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Isn't that interesting? There's freedom in Jesus. As, as, as I'm linked up to Jesus, and I, as, as I worship Him, I believe in Him, and I, there's actually freedom in Jesus because He's come to set us free from all the muckiness and the yuckiness. Then He goes on to say this, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into the likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God is changing us little by little, conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ so that we will ultimately become like him and who he is and what he really is. Now, people talk nowadays about getting in touch with their authentic self. That's an interesting phrase, the authentic self. I don't want to get in touch with my authentic self because I know how evil and bad I can be. I know how desperate the human heart is. Nothing good comes from the human heart. Mark chapter 7 talks about all the sin, all the muckiness, all the yuckiness comes from inside the human heart. What I want to do is I want to get in touch with the authentic Jesus. And I think that's what Jesus is confronting Nicodemus with. Don't get encapsulated by all of that stuff in the past, the rules, the regulation, the sacrifices, who you think you are, what you have to do. In other words, Jesus, will you be the object of my faith? That's what he would ask him. Challenge him. Nicodemus, I want to be the object of your faith. You see how John 3.16 gives us hope? No condemnation because we're believing and trusting in him. This idea that we can believe and trust him for all the aspects of our life because what he's ultimately doing is transforming us into the image of his son. And the last thing that we can acknowledge from this verse about eternal life is this. We have a different quality of life. We have a different quality of life. The Bible says when we embrace Jesus, he made us into a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. We have this current relationship with Jesus where even though I'm on this earth, my citizenship is ultimately in heaven. 
and I'm looking forward to a tiptoe anticipation of my time of being with Jesus. And I think it's important for us to know that our citizenship is in heaven and to know about heaven and to think about heaven and at times to dwell on heaven. Because when I do that, the Bible says this, it changes the way that I will live in the here and now. It changes my perspective. It changes the way that I will live. There's a pastor by the name of Leith Anderson, and and notice what he said. He said these things. What makes heaven heaven is God. It is being with him. With his presence comes peace and contentment, a fulfillment, a sense that all is well. That is also a contentment that bubbles over into the rest of life. We can anticipate this future in the presence of God. We can be with him in a place where everything he wants happens the way that he wants it to happen, and that affects this life as well. In other words, what Jesus offers is a new way to live. Not only is he transforming us into the very image of his son, but as we look, embrace, and, and, and anticipate our wonderful time in heaven, it transforms the way that you and I will live. It changes the way that I will use my money because what I'm going to do is I'm going to invest in the future. I, I'm going to want make sure that I'm giving some of my money, my finances, to support the mission work of the Martins and others who are going out all over the world. You know, as I look to heaven, the message of heaven, the message of the cross, that people need to embrace the cross, what it, is, it changes the way that I'm going to live. I'm going to have a different quality of life in the way that I will live. It changes me in the here and now. Jesus said these words. He says, Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you love me for the very creation of the world. Jesus says, listen, I want you to be with me, and I want you to experience the wonder and the glory of what life is truly like. See, to possess eternal life means that we have a different quality of life. As I reflect on heaven, as I reflect on what is before us, it changes the way that I will live. It will reorientate my thinking. It will reorientate the way that I live. It will reorientate the way that I embrace life, the way that I embrace my friends, my family, all of those things. And because we are children of God and our citizenship in heaven, the quality of life that we have in the future is radically different. The Bible says you're going to be in paradise. Are you looking forward to anticipating that? Don't know exactly what it means, but for Paul it meant something. To the thief on the cross, I'm sure it meant something. The Bible says this, that, that my future, our future means we're going to rest. You ever get worn out? You get weary? You ever get broken down? Does your body get broken down? Have trouble getting up in the morning every once in a while? Hebrews chapter 4 says this. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. He's saying, listen, there's a promise in the future that you're going to have eternal rest. Make sure you're okay. Make sure the object of your faith is ultimately Jesus because you want to make sure that you enter into that rest. That's an eternal rest with Jesus. Book of Revelation, it says, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor and their deeds will follow. One day, the quality of life in the future is that we are going to rest. To possess eternal life means that there's a glorious reunion. I have done over 120 funerals here. I, I, one time I looked at them, I'm like, that can't be right. I went back and I counted them all. They're in a file. I've got name after name after name after name after name. 
all of those people who have gone before us, there's going to be a great and grand and glorious reunion with all of them. He's going to wipe away all of our tears. We're going to be worshiping Jesus. We're worshiping in the throne, worshiping a Savior who has taken away our sin. There's going to be great, grand, glorious celebration. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. All of that is going to be something that we currently possess, we can anticipate happening in the future, if you will. Is your body breaking down? I heard a quote from Joni Erickson Tata, who was a quadriplegic from the age of 16. She went in and she spoke to um, some uh, children who were handicapped. They were mentally handicapped. And she told these children that one day in the future, you're going to have new minds. And you know what happened? They all started erupting and, and clapping and celebrating that they were going to get a new, a new mind. We're going to have new bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this, the resurrection chapter. I love these words. It's talking about splendor. When you look at creation, when you look at, when you look at a flower and you see different kinds of flowers, aren't you going, wow, that's awesome. That really looks cool. You look at the stars and you see all of these stars, the things that we can see, we go, wow, that, that's absolutely stunningly beautiful. The Grand Tetons are absolutely phenomenally beautiful. Jenny Lake, all of these things. There's this splendor out there from God's creation. 1 Corinthians 15 says that the sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and stars differ from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. One day in the future, I am not going to look the same. Because I'm going I'm to be like a superman. Think about it. Think about what Jesus did. He said, I'm going to be like him, right? What did Jesus do? There's a lot of stuff in the future that we're going to be able to do on a, uh, a, new, heaven, a new heaven and a new earth with new bodies and all of it. And all of that we get to anticipate. So, again, let me just snap this up. Contending for the faith. One of the saddest things that, that I come to understand about people walking away is this. They have no future. Nothing. They have just the here and now. And I got to believe when you have nothing but the here and now, that's got to collapse your meaning and purpose in life. What meaning and purpose in life do you have? What the Bible says is this, build your life on the foundation of Jesus. Build your life on John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The quality of our life is radically different. You looking forward to that? Listen, I, I could probably talk on heaven for four more weeks, five more weeks, six more weeks. I'm not going to, but we could. And maybe at times we need to think about it and anticipate. Because as I look to Jesus, as I look to heaven, my life on this earth is going to be radically different. And it's going to change the way that I, I live. Father, thank you. Father, I thank you for the promise of heaven. Father, I thank you that my mom is there and that she embraced faith and that one day I will be reconciled with her. Father, I could just go after name after name, Mike Curtis, Dave Booker, all of these people who've gone before us, Ruth Mellis, Father, your faithful saints, or this gal by the name of Marissa who worked in the Philippines. I may have met her once, but one day in the future, I will see her again. And Father, all of that is because of who Jesus is. 
And Lord, I pray that there's someone here who's not trusting and believing in Jesus, Lord, that you would open their eyes and their hearts to the wonder and the beauty of what life is like with you. Lord, there's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of brokenness in this world. But when we look to you, it says, take courage. You have overcome the world. And we thank you for that. Father, I ask your blessing upon our time today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.